Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. aced it. And then they looked at my credits from a technical degree that I didn't think had anything to do with Bible college, but it actually transferred. And they said, get out of here, go to the other side of the building to the bachelor's office, start there. And I got my bachelor's degree when I went intending to get an associate's. I got a bachelor's degree. And then after that, I went and got a master's degree and I made A's. I did good. I did good through my bachelor course. I did. I even did good in the master's. I thought I was, okay, okay, the bachelor's is one thing. The master's is going to be hard. As a matter of fact, I did so well. I thought something was wrong. I wrote to my professors. I said, hey, um, I just made an A on this this paper. Are you, were you in a hurry grading or, or what? He goes, no, you actually made a good uh, grade. And I said, well, something's not right. The next professor, I did the same thing. I called him up, said, hey, why did I make an A? He goes, because you made an A. Next professor, all the way through. And they kept telling me, you're making A's. You're legitimately making A's. Because I kept thinking, well, one professor will say you made an A, but wait till I get to the next one. He's not going to like my writing as much as the first one did. But the Lord had given me discernment and wisdom. He gave it to me like he gave it to Solomon. I saw this in the Word of God, where we're at right here in 1 Kings 4, and I asked, friends, I don't think we ask enough anymore these days. I think we have a defeatist attitude. Friends, we need to get that kind of focal point on our God. We need to have a vision towards the Lord God and stop accepting defeat and start asking, Lord God, give me what I need to do what you called me to do. He will empower you to do that. The Lord never calls you to places he will not empower you. If it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's bill. He will pay for it. He will give you everything you need to be able to pull off what he commanded you to do. So take this from 1 Kings 4. You you heard, listen to me. You've got some things you're trying to do and you're struggling. I don't know how I'm supposed to do it. You need to take 1 Kings 4. Look what the Lord did for Solomon. He just gave him wisdom. Do you need wisdom? Ask for it. You don't have because you don't ask. The Lord wants you to ask. He already knows what you need before you ask. Ask him and say, Lord, I need this. Would you please give this to me and see what he does? He did it for me for Bible college. And I learned this from 1 Kings 4, from what he did with Solomon. Isn't that awesome? I had to throw that at you. Let's get back into it. A main theme that we see here in this chapter is how God blessed the nation of Israel because of the leadership that was under submission to God's will. Solomon's leadership, his administration, was under God's will. They were in line with that, and so the blessing came in. Now remember, the condition of God's promise to Solomon, if you walk in my statutes, then I will lengthen your days. If you do this, then I'll do that. Solomon wanted this blessing, 
But it, it also, this blessing also dripped off of him and trickled down from him all the way down to everyone in Israel so that the establishment of this proper leadership administration was going to facilitate that promise even to the Israelite people. Proverbs 29 and 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Now, friends, there's a lot of groaning going on today. Now, this practice here does not just pertain to Israel only. When a nation's leadership aligns with the will of God, that nation is tremendously blessed. My gosh, how far we've fallen from the days of being blessed in this nation, because we are getting very far away from what is godly. Isaiah 10 and 1 says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed. That woe is misery, terror, pressure. We really need an administration that is like Solomon's, don't we? Hebrews 13, 7, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. So the Lord had promised David, remember, he said Solomon's rule would be one of peace in order to bring that promise in. There had to be front runners. They were in positions of of authority, and they would usher that blessing in. And when the people see that, they would want to imitate it. Christian, when people see your way of life, do they want to imitate it? If you claim to be a Christian and your life is an absolute screwed up mess, you're mad at everybody, you hate everybody, you're arguing with everybody on, on social media, and there's always turmoil and debate and just just blah, do people want that? Or do you show them what a blessed life in Jesus looks like? It will really influence the way people perceive Jesus, whether they're going to want to follow you or not, as to what your life produces. Our life has to produce visible blessing that people can see it, that they're going to want to imitate it. And so the Lord promised David that Solomon's rule would be one of peace and that in order to bring that promise in, there had to be front runners in place of positions of authority that the people would be able to see, then they would imitate them and it would go out to all the nation. Isaiah the prophet, he had said that someone would come to prepare the way for the Lord and then centuries later in Mark 1 Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And that was John the Baptist, who came ahead of Jesus to baptize for the remission of sins, and that facilitated the entry of the promised Messiah. So you can see this process we have going on in 1 Kings 4 that God brings promise in through leadership influence that God has aligned with his will. God puts in a good leadership administration first, then the blessing comes in through that. He did it with Jesus, with John the Baptist, went in first. Now there's another good promise that we have called salvation, and somebody had to go ahead of us for that also. Hebrews 6.19 This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever. So a forerunner, a frontrunner, that's like a harbor pilot. That's somebody that has in-depth knowledge of the waterways so that they can lead a ship in to guide them to their safe harbor port. 
because the, the harbor pilot knows the way. To facilitate and bring in salvation for us, Jesus was our front runner. He was our forerunner to lead us to the safety of eternal life because he knew the way. And so we saw Solomon, he established godly leadership to bring in the promise of peace for Israel. We saw the same method work out with John the Baptist. He led the way before Jesus to bring in the gospel. And then Jesus led the way for us to go unto the Father, which now comes to you and me. This is what our responsibility should be in our leadership. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you can see how God has this method of bringing promises in to people through those who are, who are aligned with God's will. You know, we get to be leaders that bring in the promises by loving others. Do you hear that? Loving others. This means you love them the way he loved you. Now, Scripture says that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He didn't say, now, you stop sinning, and then I'll die for you. You straighten up first, and then I will die for you. No, he died while we were still sinners. So these supposed Christians that I see on social media, if not on TV, if not in person, they go to war with other people, they fight like cats and dogs to try to win their way, and they won't let up until they just obliterate the person that does not agree with them. We Christians can't be that way. You got to stop that. It says to love others, not the way you think love is. You got to love them the way Jesus loved you, which means you've got to allow yourself to be crucified for them, even while they're swinging the hammer. See what I'm saying? We're supposed to love others, not conquer them. That's why we don't argue and debate people to the ground, because you're never going to turn them through an argument. You're supposed to turn them by them seeing the blessing in, the, in your life. Once they see the blessing in your life, they're going to want to imitate it. you got to love them. This is not a contest here. And I know we've all done these kinds of bad things before because we're all sinners. So, you know, God already understood that. He already factored that in when he went to the cross, he, that, we're, that we're sinners. So I want you to remember, though, we read in 1 Kings 2, Solomon he said to Abiathar when he removed him from the priesthood, he said to him, you deserve death, but I won't have you executed because you carried the ark and you were afflicted whenever my father David was afflicted. And so then Solomon disqualified Abiathar from the priest service and sent him home. But listen to this. Today, we saw Abiathar's name still listed in the king's administration in 1 Kings 4, verse 4. Abiathar, you are disqualified from service, but he's still in the list. Why? Because even though he had messed up, because he had once served the Lord, his name was not blotted out. Here's the Jesus parallel I told you that we were coming back to. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Friends, I know you've messed up before. I know it. We're all sinners here, especially me. Trust me, okay? I know what I've done. But if you're genuinely saved by Jesus, your name will never be blotted out of the book. Understand. You can still mess up bad enough to be disqualified from service, but it won't cut out your name from the book of life. 
I know this professor in my Bible college days. He got caught in adultery, and so they had to terminate his employment. He was disqualified from service. This man lost his job at the university, the church that he was a pastor at. Of course, they fired him. And I think even his wife wanted to divorce him at that point. He lost everything. He lost it, all of it. He, it, he, it was shot overnight because he was disqualified from service. It, that can happen. But that does not mean that the Lord strikes his name from the book of life if he has truly come to believe in Jesus Christ and has been sealed by Holy Spirit promised covenant in his inner man. When you get that name in the book of life, it is a covenant seal that God binds. We don't bind it. The Lord does. And he already knows that we're sinners when he comes in to do that. That's why Christ died for us while we were still sinners. But this disqualification part is very interesting because I teach on sealed salvation, and it makes people get very mad. Well, it's in the Bible. But they think I'm saying that you can go sin all you want to once you get saved. You can't because you can get disqualified from a great many things. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. See, Paul was trying to keep his body under submission. That pastor I just told you about, he should have put his body under submission and told that woman, no, I'm a married man. But he didn't, and he was disqualified. Paul was very careful not to ruin his ability to preach. He wanted to keep preaching the gospel. And to do that, he had to put his body under subjection or else he would be disqualified, okay? But Paul was not talking about losing salvation. This doesn't mean disqualified from salvation. People always see these things and they immediately think it means salvation. He's talking about preaching to others. He didn't want to be disqualified from preaching. Abiathar was disqualified qualified from being a priest. He was disqualified from kingdom of God's service, but his name stayed in the book because of honor. Paul was not talking about losing salvation. Salvation is sealed. The word for disqualified here is the Greek word adokimos, if I'm saying it right, which means unapproved. Abiathar messed up, And he was unapproved for service, but he did not lose his name in the book. Joab was a bad guy. He got to be buried in his house, in his own home. That was honor. He got to keep that honor. So like the the pastor caught in adultery, disqualified, he was unapproved. Uh, He was removed from being a pastor, but that did not remove his name from God's book of life. Friends, this is not, it is not, I'm going to say it a third time, and I hope those of you who are getting that that big vein sticking out of your forehead because you're getting mad at me, you're not hearing me right. This is not a sin license permission slip. You cannot do that. You get saved by Jesus, you better change. You better start obeying. But knowing this disqualification issue here, this should generate a sense of repentance And thankfulness, sealed salvation should do the same thing too. Friends, sealed salvation should never make you say, oh good, let's party away like the devil because I'm saved. That's the wrong way. Sealed salvation should generate thankfulness and repentance in you that God would call us to be sealed by Jesus in the first place, to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. This should do good things. But also, 
We should know that God would use our love as a forerunner, as a front runner to lead others to Jesus and be saved. That's why when you become sealed in covenant salvation, you don't go off and sin like the devil. You want people to see the produce of your life and want to imitate it like we read today. They're only going to want to do that if they see godly produce, godly gains happening. And that's how we are a front runner put in leadership of authority so that what we produce in the righteousness of Christ will trickle down to others and they can receive the blessing as well. That's what Solomon wanted for Israel. With good discernment, he set up good guys to make good decisions so that the blessing would go to everybody. Christian, we are supposed to use good godly discernment to make wise decisions in line with God's will so that the blessing will come off of us and that it will get onto other people and that they will come to want Jesus too. Do you see the method here? So remember how the Lord made a bunch of nations submit to Solomon and the area of their dwellings fit right into the dimensions of the land that he promised that he would give to Israel. And I said that anyone living in that present day would have seen how they perfectly fit within that promised puzzle piece, and that's how the Lord God had placed Israel to be noticed on a world stage with a message that said, God's promises are still out there on the horizon waiting to be fulfilled. Let me modernize this for us today. I want you to know that the nation of Israel went out of existence for centuries, and after thousands of years, ever since 1948, Israel is back. Israel is back again. The Jews are there. They're speaking the same language of Hebrew again. They're even using shekels of for their money, just like they did in ancient times. Same money, same language, same place, the same people, the Jews. The, the, a whole nation disappeared for centuries and completely came back again. There is no other nation in the history of mankind that has ever disappeared from existence like that and returned again. And remember how productive Israel was to be able to supply all that provision daily. Did you know that today, Israel, which is back on the map, and it's even called Israel, for a matter of fact. I mean, what if they were back and it was called something else? It's actually called Israel, just like the Bible says. They're back. And that they supply, Israel supplies Europe with most of Europe's fruits and vegetables. That is very prosperous, a prosperous nation. Just 100 years ago or so, somewhere around in there, Mark Twain went to Israel, to that area where Israel is now, before it was back as Israel. He went there and said he had never seen a more desolate place as this. He, he said, I didn't hardly see anybody. I didn't hardly see anything growing. And so the Lord had a professional writer, uh, a scribe, if you will, to put down a good document that stood the test of time for a snapshot of a hundred years ago that showed that Israel was nothing and wasted, right? But now all of a sudden, once again, Israel is back and it's very productive. Once again, God has put Israel on a world stage. Why? So that everyone will see that the promises of God are on the horizon. Jesus is going to return. That's what we're looking at coming here. Jesus will return to fulfill the promise of the Davidic covenant. It's going to happen. Luke 1.32 He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Friends, David's throne was not in America. 
It was not in Australia. It wasn't in Japan. It was not in Russia, France, England, you name it. It was only in one place. It was in Jerusalem. It was in Israel. And so for covenant to be able to happen, God's covenant, he said, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. There has to be Israel on the map and Israel's back. That shouts to us, God's promises are coming. Friends, Messiah Jesus is coming. God put us here as front runners to help usher in blessing, to show people, to guide people to the blessing of God so that they'll partake of it as well. Do you see how we relate to this? You know, whenever you look at a master painting in a fine art gallery and you see a piece of artwork that just catches your eye and you're like, man, that is a good piece of work. And after you've taken in the beauty of that painting, what's the next thing you do? You start looking for who painted it. You start looking, where in that painting is the artist's name? It's usually right there. Oh, there it is. Oh, that's who painted that. Wow. That's the artist that did that. Friends, the Lord God has done a master artwork called creation, this whole earth and everything in and around it. And when people start looking for who did it, they try to look for the person's name. Who is the artist's name? Who did this? I want to show you what the Lord said in 2 Chronicles 6, 6. It says, I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there. And when you look at the earth and say, oh, wow, who did all this? Eventually, your eyes are going to come to Jerusalem, and then you're going to know who the Lord God of Israel is, whether you believe in him or not, or have yet to do so. You're going to see that it's the Lord God of Israel. And so the Lord is once again in our present day. You think of the theologians of a hundred years or more past, they didn't have an Israel on their map. If they could come through time to us Christians today, they would grab us by our shoulders and shake us around and say, do you see what you have that I didn't have in my day? You have an actual Israel sitting there shouting, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. Look at all the covenant that can happen now. And so it's here in our day. Israel is once again on the world stage. Why? Because like in Solomon's time, the Lord was trying to tell the world, my promises are on the horizon and we have a good future ahead together. It's coming. It's going to happen. And it is going to be good. Friends, it's my job as a pastor to make sure that you do not miss a statement as big as this. We have good promises ahead in King Jesus. I want us to see the pattern in 1 Kings 4, that if Solomon had the discernment to choose people for himself, to bring in God's promises for Israel, then God the Father used even better discernment to choose you, to help bring in God's promises to all the nations by having us share the gospel of Jesus through our love. Doesn't this excite you? Friends, if the Bible does not excite you, then you're not reading it. Father, we thank you for today and your word in 1 Kings 4. Lord, teach me to be that front runner. Teach me to live according to your statutes and your ways so that the blessing will fall all through me and off of me onto others, and it will cause other people to want to know who you are. I want to be that front runner for people to see Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.